Namaste. So we have uh, touched upon the yoga of divine works and the yoga of knowledge. And we can look upon knowledge as the foundation of all existence. Because it is the without knowledge works can become meaningless. Even a well-meaning work without knowledge will, will be misperformed, may have very contrary uh, effects than you know they are meant for meant to be um, similarly works are the manifestations of this knowledge so the two are very easy to correlate there is knowledge which is the foundation and it unfolds itself in the form of works take for instance that there is a poet and the poet carries within himself a whole epic like the Mahabharata so this knowledge of the Mahabharata in its seed state it could be probably summarized by just one word Krishna the entire Mahabharata and then when it begins to be expressed, then that is works. So we have a whole epic which manifests itself through the works. That's what life is meant to be, where there is the foundation of true knowledge and we have to engage in the manifestation of that knowledge. And the entire yoga of divine works is to prepare ourselves to manifest the divine will in life. Otherwise, um, we are all the time trying to manifest or express our own limited ignorant will, thereby creating much chaos and disorder in the world. Of course, a part of the play, that's a different story altogether. And equally, we must discover the true knowledge because when we do works on the basis of division and ignorance, uh, they are bound to create chaos. Whereas when we do works in Oneness with knowledge, with this knowledge is of course not an informational knowledge, it's not a sensory knowledge, it's not even a mental, rational, analytical knowledge. Let's be very clear about it. It's a knowledge that comes by identity with the divine. And it comes to the same thing when we know the foundational truth of existence, Satya Dharmaya. And then we become just instrument or channels to express it. So what is missing? We normally hear about these two aspects of the divine as omniscience which is about knowledge and omnipotence which is about expression in various ways um, uh, works being the outermost uh, mechanism or the means. So what is missing here? And that missing link is delight or ananda which is why this entire play is being staged. So it's like any poet if we ask um, why did you write the Mahabharata? So we have an impression and we try to draw such conclusions that Vyasa wrote Mahabharata to teach humanity a lesson. Probably Vyasa did not have humanity in mind at all. He was not trying to you know, teach a lesson. There were things which were inside him and he had to bring it out. Now, yes, there is within it knowledge because knowledge is the foundation. So humanity will derive many lessons. But the purpose of any creation done out of a creative impulsion is not giving some kind of an information or a lesson, but it is the delight of existence. So this delight, which is the third of the uh, you know, uh, triune unity of Satchidananda, is the real core. The whole creation is meant to express the delight in countless ways. So if we catch this thread, then we really understand the play, the manifestation and our participation in it is full of joy. So how do we reach this delight of existence? Knowledge cannot lead us. Knowledge will lead us to the doorsteps of the delight. Works, works will give us some kind of a hint of this delight in a certain way when it is being expressed through countless activities. But the way to reach this pure delight of existence, Anandam Brahman, is love. 
so love is the key ultimate key the last door so we can often uh, you know when somebody enters um, the mansion of the lord he first uh, enters the study room where there is lot of discussion and ultimately understand what the house is about who is the owner who is at the you know behind all this everything he comes to know then he is inducted into the house so he becomes the divine worker but divine worker does what is being transmitted by the divine will he is the slave of the lord the servant of god but still he does not yet know the intimate mysteries of the divine whom he will reveal somebody who will sleep with the lord with whom he will share his dreams so this being with the lord in the most intimate way the divine is beloved that's what is ultimately the yoga of bhakti is meant to take us to now uh, yoga of knowledge we have seen there are certain processes concentration renunciation we take up a thought we go by identity we go behind and eventually arrive at the uh, truth which is contained within it we have spoken about detachment from the senses detachment from the bodily um, sense detachment even from the way our many things are intertwined in our understanding corrupting it so all this detachment as a preliminary this uh, renunciation of all all our preconceived ideas notions to arrive at truth similarly in works we see that how the will has to be brought together its uh, threads are scattered all into the world in various desires and we have to bring it together and surrender it to the divine will and then the divine will begins to move our individual will that is how the yoga works proceed what about love what is the system in it now this is the only yoga where you can't turn it into a system because love by its nature defies all our systematization or a codification into formula you can't teach a person that you have to love this way that you start this way then the next step next step then he'll be too active in the mind and lose the heart love is an expression of the heart even in human life uh, love is a spontaneous emergence of uh, you know feelings which arise as a wave so this um, yoga of love cannot really be systematized in the true in the strictest sense of the word and yet there is a process for the sake of understanding we can understand the process and uh, that process resolves it itself into uh, various small little steps the first step is to uh, hear about the divine after all we don't uh, suddenly fall in love with an abstract formless entity so when we approach the through the yoga of knowledge <clears throat> then we speak about the divine who is impersonal probably with qualities so there is an element of love but it's not like the flaming core there is the divine and we fill him with certain qualities but generally he is impersonal he is a being to whom we have to reach out he has all the qualities if we reach him through some kind of tapasya through some kind of interiorization and concentration well we'll be blessed with these qualities time to time he will intervene in this uh, journey but that's not how love proceeds love proceeds to a point where it wants to experience intimately the divine all the time um, 24 hours every minute all the time with oneself so how does it proceed first is one hears about the divine so uh, the first step in the yoga of divine love is um, uh, what is called traditionally as kirtan shobindra doesn't use the word kirtan but it's about the gungan kirti that's how it comes that when we uh, speak about the qualities of the divine so we have all these in indian tradition we have hanuman chalisa durga chalisa shiv chalisa so what do they really do 
when we read them, if we look at it clearly, they speak about the qualities of the divine. Or we have in Ramcharitmanas, Sri Ramachandra Kripalu Bhajman Haran Bhavay Darunam. So this way, by hearing these qualities, the attributes of the divine name, like Lalita Sahasranam, Aditya Sotam, or Vishnu Sahasranam, by hearing these divine qualities, we begin to, uh, in some way or the other, it enters into us and love awakens in our heart. Um, same we have Madhurashtakam in Savitri. That's why uh, many times, uh, you know, when we read Adoration of the Divine Mother and many passages in Savitri, this actually awakens in us a love which is spontaneous response to hearing of the divine names. So hearing of the divine names, chanting of the divine names, they are one of the best traditional means to uh, awaken within us the love for the divine. Then the next step after we have heard the divine names, the mind must dwell upon it. It's important for the mind to start dwelling upon it. Now in the yoga of divine knowledge or integral knowledge, we dwell upon the idea or conception of the divine. So here it's not just the mind, it is the heart that must dwell upon the divine. As now when it dwells upon the divine, the heart forms relations. Unless, unlike the uh, thought, thought picks up an idea and goes into its uh, uh, culminating point. But the heart forms relations with the divine. So now we can see that all the relations that we form in this life have to be slowly turned into relations with the divine. In fact, all relations that we have in life are a shadow, a reflection, very often a distorted reflection of the truth of the human soul's relation with the divine. Take for example, now in this relation itself, there is a hierarchy. So when one approaches the divine initially, there is a lot of awe. And uh, you know, uh, I remember once um, in the course of... um, being with Champaklalji for some time in his service. So the first day I went, I was in awe. This is the time I have to give duty for him. So I was sitting in a lot of, you know, like I don't want to even for a moment, uh, you know, <laughs> blink because what if he needs something? He's resting. He's, he's in his, uh, what we would ordinarily call as the sleep mode, but actually it's a trance state. But I'm, if he needs something, if he needs something. Next day, he sensed it. So he sent word that, see, you just be relaxed. You don't have to, you know, because, uh, but my initial impulsion was that there is an awe. Then I relaxed, then I would sit quietly. You know, when you read Shurabindo's uh, 12 years with Shurabindo, sometimes people don't understand that when Shurabindo is sitting there and he is concentrating for hours, how come these disciples could read a newspaper? They did. It's documented. Now, how are they doing it? That is the great, that is the beauty of Shurabindo. He doesn't inspire that kind. I mean, he could. He is the one who could. Majesty of majesties. With one blink, he could change things in the world. But he would not do it. Because the presence is so benevolent. It is so soothing. So relaxing that one even forgets everything. So, it starts with... The bhava of that he is the master, there is awe and one must be afraid of him. So this fear of God is the most primitive kind of relation that one can form with the divine. And we see that a lot of Semitic religions speak only about this fear of God. As Sri Ramakrishna said, the the other side of the world gave God-fearing man, but India gave the God-lover. So still it has its meaning in a certain sense, as Sri puts it, Uh, That while it is not the ultimate truth, but keep a little bit of it, even when you have realized God, it adds to the charm and joy of the relationship. 
बट दैट पार्ट फियर हैज टू चेंज इन टू द फीलिंग ऑफ बींग जस्ट द सर्वेंट एंड स्लेव ऑफ गॉड ना वेन वी आर सर्वेंट एंड स्लेव ऑफ गॉड इन द रिलेशन इज वन ऑफ ओबीडियंस सो वी सी इट बिगिन्स टू मर्ज विद द योग ऑफ डिवाइन विल दैट इफ द मास्टर हैज सेट सो वी वॉन्ट टू ओबे हिम इट डजेंट मैटर uh that's what is important for us all the rest is not important so this the dasya bhav with which we approach the master but see what happens when there is a person working in the house now we don't use the word servant but let us put it not in the racist sense but uh not in a pejorative sense but normally so what happens when the servant comes initially he is all full of awe he wants to obey but after some time what happens he begins to get close he understand that you know my Uh, master is a very nice human being and he begins to take certain liberties with him so the relation of servant and master begins to change and evolve so what does it evolve into after some time we see that servants can take the liberty of asking their master that i need money for my daughter's marriage and the master gives him generously okay you take an advance 50000 1 lakh whatever you know depending on the master's capacity you take it so he begins to become part of the family member of the um, master so same thing happens here that as we grow closer there is a certain kind of liberty which one begins to take so the relation begins to change into mother and father or even before that into teacher and student so this teacher and a student relationship is like the person wants to know what is it about and he takes interest i remember sometimes somebody who was working asked me about computers so i said okay there is a need to learn so you begin to teach so the master begins to teach to the servant not just take work from him but teach him like we see that when people were there serving shurbindo how they would sit together and ask him questions so you see the relation is beginning to change into the Uh, relation of teacher and disciple um the guru and the disciple and then it begins to evolve further into uh, the relation of father and mother the relation of father is still a little distant why because father is somebody whom uh, still you approach with a little bit of distance and uh, today is i think fathers day sorry for all the fathers in the world <laughs> myself one no fathers are nice people but still you know you can't just go and tell them freely and frankly uh, uh, but with mothers you know that whatever may happen the mother may scold you the mother may tell you but in the end she is the one who is prepared to give a life for you if there is ever a choice to be made so uh, the relation begins to change from the relation of father and child to the relation of mother and child so in traditional yoga we see that uh, these these are the two kinds some have related with the divine as father but whenever they have related to the divine as father there is the element of justice which comes in uh, my father is sitting you know with a if you do wrong he has got a rod in the one hand and if you do good he has got you know he'll um, give you his atm card and allow you to use it freely but with the mother wherever relation has been formed with the divine as mother which we see in the indian setting the relation of divine as mother she it's never a relation of reward and punishment it is a different kind of relation it has sweetness it has joy it has beauty it has uh, the sense of power because you are after all the child of the divine mother and you are sure uh, that she is not worried about justice <laughs> being done she will be with your side whatever may happen in this world she will stand by your side if something needs to be corrected for you she will do it 
but she will do it she won't allow anybody else to touch you and harm you and then bring out justice but the divine father may allow things to go their own way people often speak of this relation between mother and shurbindo so they would say that when they would uh, approach shurbindo it was like infinity and uh, you could do anything and they asked shurbindo that why do you give such a long rope he said that is necessary because this is part of the you know you can't create superman this way and he would be so much into that infinity that even if uh, an nuclear explosion was to take place probably he'll be just undisturbed but when the divine mother came then it was very different she would be there and everybody would feel the need for change she would look at somebody and often we will see these things the mother is saying in a personal conversation hey so what do you feel about it there is such a intimacy and a power which is pouring and the same divine mother will protect us against all the forces of the world but she will change us so this is something which we find a difference between the uh, you know when the divine is seen upon his father he is benevolent father is benevolent he gives us many things he also saves us intervenes but very often the fathers allow a child to do things and learn it their way but the divine mother will teach us she will carry us and yet we will make sure that the teaching comes so that's the way the slight difference so people uh, you know when they reach that point where they begin to relate with the divine as mother and in this yoga that's the relation which is uh, predominantly uh, you know encouraged and in fact that's the relation through which this yoga proceeds so people often would ask that what can we ask from the divine mother and she would say everything and shrivinda gives the secret in the synthesis of yoga he says that the in fact there is a message which came today very beautiful message where it says that divine mother is there here for that to give us and then in the synthesis it says that the child soul goes to the mother soul in all its difficulties and so that and the mother wants it the divine mother wants it to be so so that she can pour her heart of love upon its creatures you know people don't realize that the greatest joy of love is not when you receive love the greatest joy of love is when you are able to give love and if you don't have a person who is receptive then somewhere you feel the stifling of the energy of love it's a very strange you know uh, strange experience that you want to give love because that's the nature of love to give itself love in its origin is to give itself so divine mother because she is the highest form of love she wants to pour the love and she wants the creatures the children everybody to come and be in contact with her for everything there is a little story about pranavda he writes he recounts in his book i remember where he um, you know whenever they used to go to picnic even now this is the um, thing in the ashram that they would uh, tell the mother everything where they are going what for they are going uh, how they are going when will they come back everything she would uh, make sure that your journey is smooth and everything is beautiful it was not like this not yoga yoga is only when you sit in meditation she turned everything into yoga games play everything that's what the divine mother can do so one day he writes that uh, they went for swimming two three of them and uh, then they came back uh, i'm not sure whether there was some difficulty or not but anyways there was no loss and uh, mother came to know about it so she wrote in a diary she wrote in a diary that i have realized today that my children are emancipated and they do not need my presence now dada 
see this can be understood in so many ways but when dada read that diary note he felt very bad he realized that he had done a mistake he should have informed her and from that time onwards he made it a practice that whatever it be wherever i may go or people may go i am going to tell her and make sure that because this this idea that i'll do it all so this relation with the divine mother there is another kind of relation which some souls form with the divine which is of course um, not very common to become an instrument of the divine in his world play and that's what we see arjuna Uh, where the divine becomes the leader of the human march and one becomes the instrument of the divine in that uh, wonderful play um shobindra in one of his aphorism says that uh, uh, there are two things perfectly pleasing to god in his servant in his devotees one is one, someone who sweeps his temple floors in silent adoration that we know temple floor but there is a very big qualifier in silent adoration it's not like i am a bhakta of the god i am you know i am sweeping the door every day do you remember i have heard this kind of thing you know every day he cleans the place that's that's not the it's silent adoration it's a joy it's a privilege it's not something where we are it's not about our greatness it's about the glory and the greatness of the lord who has given us this opportunity and what about the other and the other who fights for his divine consummation in the great battle of humanity in the great battle of the future so these are the two kinds of uh, you know those who sweep his temples floors in silent adoration and the other who fight for the divine consummation these are the two who are perfectly uh, loved by god because uh, one will probably be in a place uh, and we can see these two tendencies one will probably want to be very near the divine in the uh, physical sense because so he can do these things but the other he would want to be wherever the divine wants him to be he would probably be all around in the world to be where the divine wants him to be and that's why shubindo in the synthesis reveals that the divine love which is not accompanied with divine works or divine service it is incomplete because when we love someone so in traditional yoga the bhakti is all inside or to a deity one wants to be near there in the place where one can offer service but in the integral yoga this love must translates into service and the divine whom we adore have to be has to be found everywhere so this yoga proceeds like that that divine is not only within me in every event circumstance a bhakta of the lord finds the divine element in it unlike uh, you know the yoga of knowledge one can stand aloof and say that this is all a play which is going on or the divine works who wants to see in it what is my role and execute it but for the bhakta of the lord he sees the divine everywhere in the great unfolding and we see this in the story of the mahabharata where at the end of the war see arjuna is an instrument of the divine he is a bhakta and bhishma is more like a gyan yogi uh, arjuna is like you know the worker of the lord instrument of the lord so bhishma is asked that why are you fighting from this side and bhishma says it doesn't really matter what do you mean he says i know that wherever there is krishna there'll be victory a thousand bhishmas cannot spoil it i'm just doing my role that's how bhishma takes that stand that is his path of salvation he is not concerned about anything else but arjuna i want to fight or do what you want me to do so he becomes the instrument of the lord but there is somebody who is the silent spectator of the whole play 
and he is regarded to have a kind of identity with shri krishna you know barbari korilawan some people iravan some people call him he is worshiped in a part of india as khatu shamji because he is regarded as somebody who has realized identity with krishna so he is watching the whole play and at the end of it all the warriors that you know we are the ones who fought the maximum uh, we are the ones who killed maximum people and then they ask him that what what is your idea about the war and he says i saw krishna everywhere on this side and the other side so the bhakta begins to universalize this aspect of the divine presence not only in a passive way that divine presence is in all beings he begins to see the divine hand in each and every circumstance not only in those circumstances where he is saved but even in those circumstances which appear even to our seeming eyes to our eyes of ignorance monstrous even there he is able to perceive the play of the divine and the way the divine presence is operating that's why we see uh, that you know the ultimate acme of bhakti uh, is where radha's prayer where she says that every event whether you give me happiness or sorrow success or failure each thing will be received from thee as a um, gift of as a boon and it will bring to me the divine felicity so these are the various relation now there is one more relation which is beyond everything but um, it is not easy some people may start from there but it's not easy and that is of the divine is the beloved now this used to for some time buddhi ko chakkar khana because i would often feel that you know i can treat her as divine mother that is the ultimate how can i think of her as beloved and then the mystery was disclosed to me by the beloved himself or herself <laughs> uh, you know who is the beloved we have our idea of the beloved you know because we have this um, romantic thoughts in mind so we think beloved is about no beloved is somebody to whom we will disclose everything which we will not disclose to anyone so beloved is somebody with whom you share your most intimate secrets every kind of secret you share with the beloved and the beloved likes it to be so you see it's so beautiful there is a little uh, thing about uh, amrita that when he would meet shurbindo every day there was a time given to him for one hour and for one year he would come and speak to shurbindo a 15 16 year old lad with a school bag and he would come and meet and shurbindo would just see smile much later he says that you know i used to speak only tamil with one or two words in english i don't know whether shurbindo knew tamil or not and shurbindo would hardly speak but it was english which he didn't understand very well so he said he didn't realize that what must be happening between them but he felt it that he can come and tell shurbindo everything that was happening from his family life to his school life and everything so that's what a beloved is beloved is somebody with whom you can share what you cannot share with anybody and that way when we understand it we can see actually the only one who can really be a beloved is the divine <laughs> we may use the term loosely to a human being but is there one human being to whom we really share everything no so divine is the beloved and then once we start treating the divine as beloved which means we don't hide anything we tell the divine everything we receive everything from the divine because when the beloved gives something you don't uh, start arguing why are you doing this to me or giving this to me because you love him or love her and then you receive everything then the intimacy grows to a point where there is such a fusion that at times even there is a complete loss of identity of oneself in fact 
there is a complete loss of identity. But the bhakta likes to keep a little bit of, you know, for the sake of joy of the play. So as Sri Ramakrishna would say that uh, if the bhakta unites with the divine, then he cannot uh, really enjoy the <laughs> joy of the play. So keeps a little bit thin veil of ego. So when we look at the evolution of bhakti, it starts first with hearing the divine names. Then there is the seeking, the longing of the soul for the divine. And then there is the pain and joy which is experienced. The day and night which in the yoga of knowledge when there are blank period, when there is no effort. But for the bhakta it is experienced as the viraha. When one feels that one is not in contact with the divine and it's very painful. It's very difficult to explain. It's just like human love but at a different level altogether. The day you feel that there is an obscuration, there is something... You know, Shubhindu in House of the Spirit and the New Creation so beautifully explains. Its presence made the smallest seem divine. Its absence left the greatest actions dull. World may say that what a wonderful action. But you have missed. Why? Because the delight is missing. How to know that we are in contact with the divine is by this delight. Knowledge brings peace, vimuktaye. Works bring energy, force, power into the Entire, you know, all that is happening. But love brings ananda. The presence of ananda is the sign that love is becoming more and more perfect. So there is on one side this viraha and milan. So viraha is when you feel separated and milan is when there is a state of union. And then the bhakta wants to more and more do things which will bring the milan. So that is how the bhakta's yoga proceeds. When the divine worker practices equanimity, he practices it like stoic, whatever life gives me, I will receive it and go through it. And through that process, because he is the divine worker, and the knower of Brahman, the pa- on the path of knowledge, also you have to practice equanimity, where you have to look upon all things with an equal eye. But for the bhakta, that is not the path. The bhakta says, I will do what the divine wants me to do, what the divine wants me to be. So through love, he begins to enter into that state where there is a unity and his equanimity reveals to him the divine presence in the entire mysterious play and behind everything. And then of course, he enters into a contact with the divine where there is the delight. And this is a state further where this delight is not just with the presence inside. It's so intimately intertwined with the bhakta that there is this constant, everything that is done is a constant manifestation of this delight of existence. So this is how the yoga bhakti proceeds. Two more things. One is um, one is about uh, the motive, why, why does one love? So often people ask this question. Uh, why does, I have a little uh, bit of, you know, twister about it. That why does somebody love anyone? So, if you ask this question and the person gives the reason, then it's not love. Know that for sure. Because then it is calculation, bargain. Of course, divine is very lovable. But <laughs> love is a spontaneous outpouring. It's a spontaneous rising out. You, we don't love the divine because he is this or that. He can do this or he can do that. He is lovable, just lovable. That's all. Even if he won't do anything for you, there is a spontaneous love which emerges from the heart. That's why... The Lord of existence is called Krishna. Who is Krishna? The one who draws all beings. Akarshan. He draws all beings. Why does he draw all beings? What will he do for you? Maybe nothing, he'll just smile. (laughs) Or maybe he'll play the flute and turn you crazy. Everybody will say you are a love mad person. But love is love. So there uh, there are two kinds of devotion. One is devotion 
which has motives in it and devotion which is without any motives it may start with motives and there are two lesser motives of devotion and two higher motives and two higher which go beyond motives the ordinary motives so the two lower motives of devotion which the gita describes and shobindo of course confirms it completely is art when there is a great distress and we call the divine the divine doesn't see oh this fellow he was not remembering me suddenly he is calling me okay let him go his way he doesn't do that because he is always secretly waiting for us that is the beauty of his he is not he doesn't condemn the sinner all this idea about god who is if he condemns the sinner then sinner will have no hope in fact he is even more closely going with him that come back my child come back as it's there in savitri um not only is there hope for godhead's pure but even the darkened deities who leaped in revolt from the breast of the one they too are safe in mother's arms desires the rebel sons in fact shivindu says that one of my work is to convert the asuras into what they were originally purva devas so the divine does not condemn he is all the time waiting so the moment there is an arth prarthana it doesn't matter whether we believed or not he will come so is there a difference between having faith or not probably if we don't have a faith he will come for sure but we'll be all the time you know still struggling we'll not open ourselves imagine a situation where a person suddenly feels in distress has never called the divine has no faith in the divine and says okay come because he is in distress so what does god do he is let's take an example there is a physical condition uh, he is suddenly a doctor is walking by and he enters the chamber and sees this man are what's gone wrong with you oh i was looking for you know and then the doctor takes him now what happens if we have the doubt what will this person say he will say well it's nothing to do with divine you know it by chance that the doctor came in whereas somebody who has faith in the divine he'll say look here it's the divine who sent me this help and therefore he'll open to him in such a way that every bit of micro management of the circumstances will be such that the entire instrumentation of people conscious and unconscious will help him in the recovery so that's how the difference of faith comes in um even if some one doesn't have a faith calls the divine help it will come even if one is the worst of the persons he calls for divine help it will come it is never denied to anyone but our faith makes a difference whether we are open to it or not our recognition makes a difference because it brings the opening so that's why along with this arth the next is artharthi people who seek the divine only for a give and take bargain if this happens i'll give you uh, sawa rupya or you know 100 rupees or 5000 rupees prasad depending on what we can give so there is a bargain so divine is willing to play that game also and the reason why he is willing to play that game is very simple so that one day when we engage in this play one day we tell him by the way who are you who gives me such a way <laughs> then one day is when we say ki we don't desire these things we desire you and that the time he changes the rules of the game so what does he do is okay things which you don't need i'm going to take away from you <laughs> he is the giver and he starts taking because he had given with a certain purpose after a while when we begin to realize that who is this who is all the time with us as a friend as a confidant as a fulfiller of wishes as somebody with whom we can share all our dreams who perfectly understands us who protects us 
who is willing to pour in light you know streaming knowledge who is this this uh, you know uh, who gives me all these things so this arth changes into arth and artharthi change into the higher object of uh, bhakti which is jigyasu so jigyasu wants to know who is the divine now even a seeker after knowledge is a jigyasu in a sense but there is a difference between the bhakt jigyasu and the uh, no uh, the man who seeks through knowledge now the man who seeks through knowledge generally use he uh, because it's through the mind so mind can conceive of an abstraction or an impersonality so it invariably people who seek with the mind and have strong mental egos they have a very big difficulty in conceiving surrender for them the divine is a impersonal state a vast you know universal something so i have a very simple question which uh, you know i ask that is he all powerful yes he is all powerful i mean i am talking of those who uh, approach him as a consciousness is that consciousness greater than man yes because otherwise what's the point in approaching so greater consciousness than man means greater knowledge greater power yes we can accept an omnipotence or some kind of omniscience so if someone has greater consciousness and greater power than you won't that consciousness be aware even of oneself we with a much limited power and much limited awareness are aware of ourselves in some way that there is an entity called as me however limited so someone who is or we call it a state in which all knowledge and all power is there won't be aware of itself well it be aware of itself in that sense god is a being he is not a being in the sense we paint him like a humanoid god even though that is also allowed because it's very difficult to conceive of the divine being so we tend to humanize him this quality god of love god of justice god of mercy and then we have deities associated with them initially our conceptions are very human god of justice will always if i am an honest taxpayer everything will go right with me so this is how we approach the god of justice or if somebody has done bad to me he should be punished so this way we proceed through our human conception then slowly we realize that these conceptions were very much limited because our ego's veil was there to understand what is true justice and what is true love just to give an example of this justice business because this is something people often ask bhagwan kya kar raha hai so you know let's take an example on one side um, you ask the pandavas that you know uh, why did uh, uh, see uh, what is krishna doing he let you go through all this pain and trouble in the end gave away even his army to duryodhana what kind of a being is he arjuna will surely pick up his gandhi bow and you dare utter such a thing why because he say but i want krishna because the delight of being with krishna surpasses everything there is a very beautiful little uh, phrase from the mother uh, she says the delight of being with the divine conscious of the divine surpasses everything it surpasses creation it surpasses wisdom it surpasses everything 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 so that's what a bhakta wants he doesn't want other things so the jigya the divine is a being and he wants to intimate he wants to give himself to us but we are busy asking for gifts we are busy asking this aspect or that aspect we are busy mentalizing but if we really seek the divine uh, for himself for the sake of the divine then this bhakti changes into still further it becomes ahatuki bhakti ahatuki bhakti is the starting point of this yoga when mother was asked that um, why do you want uh, to do yoga somebody asked the mother tell us about yoga 
she said why do you want to do yoga <laughs> so she put the question back to get some power to get knowledge to help humanity none of this is a sufficient motive that you are ready for the path so what is the readiness for the path she says do you want the divine for the sake of the divine is it the reason the atre of your existence the very motive why no logic to it we may the moment we say he is the source one can logically explain well he is the source i want to know who my parent is why not i mean i have a right to know who my parent is <laughs> i must know what is that power that created this universe so there can be plenty of things but the highest motive is where there is no motive at all and it changes into ahatuki mukti it takes lives to reach this point if somebody has reached this point one is already far gone through many you know what is called in hindi papad belna gone through many many difficulties when someone asked shurbindo that how come we have come to you so easily readily in this life so he, one of the reasons he says bhakti in previous lives bearing fruits now so this is the power of bhakti and once one is a bhakta of the lord he stands regardless of anything not that one should do bhakti for that shurbindo even goes on to say that there is nothing which is denied to the god lover the relation is such that no human tongue can utter a bhakta can just have a relation where normally yogin of the knowledge he will say uh, this not this etc etc not this not this is moving in a methodical way <laughs> yoga of divine works again nishkam karma and this thing when you have this seed of bhakti sprouting within then the relation is such that no human tongue in fact when people see they will wonder what is the lord doing with this guy but that's the way he treats you know when there is a bhakta he would at one point tell arjuna uh, take this one vas on the other hand he will make arjuna go through things which ordinary human life human tongue cannot associate with with divinity because that's how it is and then he says in the end uh, in the synthesis that there is nothing which is denied to the god lover for he is the very self of the beloved so when we approach the divine through love then the bond is not only intimate but it is full of delight very often people speak of gita as the uh, karma yoga yes indeed it is the gospel of karma yoga the greatest gospel ever written but if we read through the gita through and through it is about god love <laughs> it is everywhere we see you know god coming up and god love and do this in god um, united action and at one point when arjuna says all this you are saying fine but what is the difference there are others i see doing god tapasya what about them he says yes they also reach me he says but you know that is a very difficult path <laughs> here i am giving you a path which is easy and full of delight the joy of being with the divine throughout the journey so this is the delight of so ultimately love is the crown and this this journey which is moved by love this leverage of love is full of delight how does it manifest itself it manifests itself through prayers through a constant japa one of the methods that uh, uh, but it should not be used as a method that the bhakti that the bhakta uses is um, a constant japa of the divine name just as when we love somebody we love to hear the name so here also one loves to hear the name of the divine and just hearing the name begins to uh, make one feel thrilled in the whole body simply because you know one is uh, somebody says ma it doesn't matter he is probably calling his own mother but it begins you know um, i don't know people have watched this serial mahabharata or not most people have and there we see when you know draupadi in that state 
in the cheerer when she says krishna 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 all of us feel such a tremendous as if entire energy is bhava is going upward in an ecstatic contemplation this is called bhava samadhi it is another kind of samadhi that the bhakta experiences bhava samadhi in the sense he is so much in that bhava that everything else becomes secondary he sees the whole world as krishna at that point of time even if an assassin were to come he would be so full of delight and say teri talwar de niche nachiya mein karke thaiya thaiya that even if you it's a sword it is none else but you who has come to uh, you know cut me to pieces so this is the state of ecstasy in which one enters so it starts with japa manana darshan inwardly one has to meditate upon the form till the form becomes visible to the eyes it's a subtle form one seeks i want to see you lord but initially it start with an inward image of the divine beloved whatever form we uh, believe in or whatever whoever is the deity till the f- image becomes visible to the eye but even this so it starts with concentrating upon the name of the divine upon the japa of the divine then the image of the divine but even that is still far you're not satisfied with the image you want to grow in the likeness of the divine you want to be all the time with the divine so it leads to salokya mukti the same status at the divine so much so that they can become almost inseparable that is the story shobindo recounts in essays on the gita where kuts and indra go together by the time they reach the gates of the heaven uh, nobody can differentiate because they look the same it's only sachi who is truth conscious she realizes that no this is the original indra and this is a, a one who has grown into the likeness of the divine so bhakti is the shortest swiftest quickest path but it is a gift of grace so one enters into a salokya mukti a um, a kind of dwelling in the status of the divine sadharma mukti where one's nature begins to grow into the nature of the divine samipya where one constantly feels the nearness of the lord and one doesn't even have to even a little turning that side and the divine pours himself completely so this is the path of bhakti which is Uh, as i said no human tongue can ever utter all its mysteries and beauty and its secret there is nothing nothing absolutely nothing which uh, as i said is ever denied to the bhakta the divine no state however dense the darkness the divine is there with the bhakta constantly holding him in the arms but um, it has to be and eventually it leads to the identity with the divine so that's what all yoga is supposed to lead but the difference is that this is a path which is full of ecstasy so i'll just uh, as we you know tend to read just maybe a small little passage uh, whatever is open he is the friend the advisor helper savior in trouble and distress the defender from enemies the hero who fights our battles for us can we imagine <laughs> there are no more our battles <laughs> the hero who fights our battles for us or under whose shield we fight the charioteer the pilot of our ways the line in savitri how can the end be vain when god is guide his failure is not failure whom god leads and here we come at once to a closer intimacy he is the comrade and eternal companion the playmate of the game of living just imagine having god as playmate it doesn't matter whatever wherever we are he is all the time playing his initial game is hide and seek that's why children love it original game is hide and seek 
<laughs> he can even come, you know, he can play as, even he can come as an, uh, initially as an enemy. Where about? He wants to call. Who is Kansa? He is actually a lover of God, <laughs> but fallen. <laughs> Originally, he is uh, the Dwarpal Jai Vijay, Sishupal. So he ensures that he takes them back. That is the kind of love that he can have. So he may come even as an enemy. He can seize us in the most unexpected ways. So Jnana seeker will go and say, okay, give me Jnana. Then somebody will read out a book and give a sutra, a mantra in an idyllic setting. The Karmi Yogi will go through the battlefield of life. But the Bhakta, the person is busy, you know, watching all the, uh, you know, goodies in a busy supermarket mall. <laughs> and suddenly the divine will come and probably, you know, tap from behind and seize. I remember once uh, in this story in Delhi mall, one of the malls where there was someone with me who had never stepped out of the ashram. So very much, you know, oh, this world, exposure to the world was like, this is threatening, frightening. So it is too much. <laughs> so I asked the person to sit, uh, you know, in, in, right in the busy, uh, busy mall. There was a little corner. I said, come sit here. So the person sat and still looking a bit like a frightened, timid bird, I said, now see Krishna everywhere. So I said, now you see. <laughs> Take the joy of the divine everywhere. You think mother is not here? Find her here. And then, you know, the whole thing opens up and there is the joy of existence. So he is like that playmate of the game of living. Imagine playing with God. Sometimes he plays on the other side like Arjuna and Krishna. That is a joy. Just to see that whether we are ready or not. Sometimes he comes on our side. He is still on our side. But sometimes he may put himself on the other side. To see whether we are ready or not. So he will test us and teach us like Shiva. Before he gives the Pashupatastra. So he can do even Krishna and Arjuna. Because Arjuna has given a promise. And Sri Krishna has given another promise. Somebody has taken refuge in him. So he says, okay you have to fight with me. Will you fight? So that is how he can come. But still there is so far a certain division, however pleasant, and friendship is too much limited by the appearance of beneficence. Friend is doing things for you. No, we don't want that. We want still closer. The lover can wound, abandon, be wroth with us, seem to betray, yet our love endures and even grows by these oppositions. This is the secret of any love. Every love with story of even human love will go through it. If you... Finish there, then you're finished. But if you had a contact with the divine love, it will never finish. Because you know that this is how the divine loves. It may appear that where have you abandoned me, my Lord? Like Christ asks question. He will say, well, don't worry. This is the path towards the supreme freedom that you are going to give to earth and men. So I have to take you to the cross, my child, but I'll take you in my arms. Christ asks, no, that why have you abandoned me? And he says, no, I have not abandoned you, but this is the road... Towards freedom, not only of your own sake, but the emancipation of a whole group of mankind. So it may look like that. Yet love endures and even grows. They increase the joy of reunion. You know, meeting a bosom friend suddenly after a long wait. Through them, the lover remains the friend and all that he does we find in the end has been done by the lover and helper of our being for our soul's perfection as well as for his joy in us. This is an experience to be had. When you have entered into a, you seem to have strayed into a path where you suddenly feel that there is something which has come between you and the mother. And you say that, Ma, why have you done this? Why have you allowed me to go into this? 
and then after a while when she comes is so much more splendor and then you understand okay <laughs> you were the one who were playing the whole game these contradictions lead to a greater intimacy he is the father and mother to of her being its source and protector and its indulgent cherisher she indulges with us indulgent cherisher and giver of our desires see we can even go and tell her ma i need this but even if you don't say mother knows what you need she doesn't use the word yog shame bahamiham <laughs> she just does it for you <laughs> because she said doesn't matter what yoga you will do <laughs> you are my child i look after you he is the child born to a desire the divine is also the child who comes out of this intense desire for him whom we cherish and rear all these things the lover takes up his love in its intimacy and oneness keeps in it the paternal and maternal care and lends itself to our demands upon it all is unified in the deepest many sided relation namaste while questions are on the way let me just add two things which um, we missed in the process of the yoga bhakti yoga and they are adoration and prayer so prayer and adoration is an integral path of the yoga of devotion prayer is invariably to a being and prayer changes into adoration so it is prayer through which we but this prayer should rise from the crest from the depths of the heart on a crest of emotion prayer is not something mechanical which you know then it's a parrot prayer divine is not happy with that kind of a parrot thing but it should be our prayer rising from the depths of our heart on a crest of emotion and then there is the adoration where we adore his many sided many qualities and it's not that the divine wants to be pleased this is a very wrong understanding we have somebody had once asked me why does the divine like that we love him i said excuse me uh, it is not that divine wants us to love him you know this humanizing the divine but when we love him we form a bond from our side he is already there to pour he is already pouring on the whole creation regardless the sinner the saint and everybody alike in between but when we open the door through love then we are able to receive it so adoration of the divine is to help us open towards him if we throw doubts and you know feelings which are completely antagonized to the hate um, you know all kinds of feeling jealousies and even ambition on the way to the divine then we are closing the doors to what he is pouring anyways so prayers adorations are the means through which we open to the divine yes and prayer does not necessarily mean that uh, every prayer will be granted what it means is every prayer is heard even a uh, good parent doesn't just uh, give to the child whatever the child asks so we must understand that uh, prayer means we are forming a bond with the divine prayer is a bridge through which we come in contact with the divine it is understood that the divine is not only omnipotent but also omniscient ashwabindu puts in savitri heavens wiser love rejects the mortal's prayer 
Sometimes he will grant certain things, but sometimes he may withhold certain things because he knows that you know this is going to lead towards a disaster. And sometimes he may grant even though he knows there is a little bit of disaster involved in it because he wants us to grow through the consequences. But yet he will hold us through the journey. So while it is uh, pray we must and of course the highest prayer is not to ask for anything but just to adore the divine and to give oneself to the divine that is the highest prayer self-giving is the greatest prayer but all prayer implies that we are forming a bond with the divine what the divine will give or not give it is understood that it is his wisdom that will decide it yeah please please go ahead yeah so yeah i mean i've for a couple of questions, but one of the things which I got uh, basically I was exper- ex- experiencing it recently is um, so basically while we we read Mother and Shuabhinder's writings uh, and they are like very ideal state of of how the yoga should be done, and then suddenly um, there are so many things that happen around your life, and then like if you like sometimes I've seen in myself that you know if I see a movie or something that stuff stays with me. Um, and in, in, in the waking consciousness, it's, it's, it's all right. I can get the thoughts out, but sometimes it comes back in the night and it's uncontrollable. And, you know, you will feel, why am I even thinking? Like, you know, why am I even giving uh, any, uh, like, uh, you know, strength to such bad thoughts? Uh, then I feel sad, you know. So how, like, how, what, what have, have Madan Shuramindo, you know, dealt with? Yes. So first thing is the idea of bad sorrow thought and sad response should be out because when we uh, divide life into good and bad we create a division in our offering the moment we say that there is a bad thought we don't uh, you know we want to keep it away from the divine we want to hide because human consciousness is a tendency to hide what it considers as bad so instead of bad or good we should look at everything there are i am saying now even from the yoga of knowledge or any yoga for that matter yoga is union with the divine so we discover that there are certain activities and there are certain thoughts certain feelings which put a veil between us and the divine and they need not be not what is traditionally called as bad. They can be anything, even what is considered as good. Let us say a person's uh, excessive attachment for his uh, near and dear one. It will put a veil between us and the divine. It's not a bad thought. It's a good thought from conventional wisdom point of view. A person's love for his you know country in the sense of you know a kind of uh, um, patriotism. While it is good again, it's a good thought. But even this can come as a veil between him and the divine, like we see in the Gita Arjuna's dilemma. So ultimately, it's not about bad and good. We have to study our being and see what comes and we will learn it. It doesn't require any book. We learn that certain activities uh, put a veil and therefore we suffer. What suffers within us is the psychic being because it suddenly feels the loss of contact and with the loss of contact, those who have realized the psychic being, they will obviously immediately connect with it. Probably they will not go in a certain direction because it puts the whole thing, the right and the light. But even before one has realized it and one has felt the experience of contact with the divine, we'll see that the peace is disturbed, the joy is disturbed. And there is a kind of diminution, there is a kind of loss of energy, there is a kind of sense of wastage, there is a kind of gloom, all kinds of forces are dancing in the atmosphere. So what we should not do is get into sad and guilt feeling. Because that's not how yoga should operate. We should discover it, offer it to the mother 
एंड एस्पायर दैट गिव मी द विल एंड द स्ट्रेंथ दैट आई डो नॉट गो इन टू ए डायरेक्शन विच कम्स इन द वे ऑफ यू नो बिटवीन अस सो इट विल टेक सम टाइम डिपेंडिंग ऑन द स्ट्रेंथ ऑफ द विल द कॉन्स्टिट्यूशन विच इज ऑल डिफरेंट इट डजेंट वर्क द सेम वे विद एवरीबडी प्रोसेस इज द सेम सो हैविंग डिस्कवर्ड वॉट इज इट विद इन मी नाउ देर आर पीपल हु आर नॉट इवन कॉन्शियस so they don't even connect like this they just you know because subconscious is where things suppressed are there and they will come up at night very often in dreams and suggestions because night is the time when these forces are active and whatever we have removed from the waking mind goes into the subconscious so but still one has seen you know a movie because of whatever reason uh, so we have to offer it like a child to the mother mother this is my tendency this is there within me you help me i need your help she will help 10000 times you know there are actual stories of sadhaks i am giving you just one example who would uh, send a telegram to shurbindo outside that uh, lord fell again matlab he f- fell again <laughs> need blessings and shurbindo will wire blessings there are sadhaks who i can't even speak on a forum who would do the impossible every day or every night whatever it be and yet the lord with his compassion will pull them out so he is full of compassion but what is important is that we should not hide these things from the divine and we tend to hide when we start calling them as bad it's not about morality the only bad in yoga is whatever veils the divine and the only good in yoga is whatever reveals the divine now i'll give you another example of the bad part of it let's say the sexual activity it definitely veils because of the excitement associated with it tremendous excitement tremendous you know all these things come and they disturb the consciousness and its peace but there are examples where there has been um, a lady writes to shirobindo and the mother and uh, that you know during such an activity why did i have an experience of the self and then she is explained that because you were in a state of complete self giving taking that it is none else but the divine himself and she had an experience so it's not about bad or good i am not saying that this is the way <laughs> way to find the divine but ultimately it is what veils and what unveils and it is the state of consciousness on which it depends so we have to be conscious and it's very good that we are conscious that certain activities we can change it when we are watching a movie we can watch, it's not about not watching a movie that's a moralistic stand but we can watch a movie and take an interest in it from the mental standpoint see one can watch a film from the vital where one is affected or one can watch it from the mind that's how the mother explained about watching movies she said because it will help us to understand the play of the world its forces about psychology of people and it's a wonderful a way i mean to understand about life in many ways because one cannot in life experience uh, all every possible things again i am not encouraging watching movies or any particular movie but they can be very good uh, education to the mind and one can watch it purely taking a mental interest to understand uh, this world in a certain level and at a certain you know stage okay offer keep offering it it will go away uh namaskar uh my name is devashish uh okay. i have a question yes please. uh you mentioned it twice today that uh there sometimes this moment of loss of psychic being or the loss of connection with the divine yes. so those cloudy days yeah uh when an individual could be in pain or certainly feeling lost or unconnected yeah. so how should a sadhak approach in those moment of weakness with complete faith and endurance he should turn toward the divine 
knowing fully well that the help will come. Most important is faith. But instead, very often people go into either a guilt trip uh, or they go into when they are not involved, somebody else has, you know, involved in the infliction of pain. They go into a state of complaining and grumbling. So guilt, complain, grumble should never enter because they will open the door to more and more adverse forces. Depression, gloom, completely out. Regardless of everything, pain is there, one is experiencing, let's say the heart is broken and one is experiencing pain. But don't let depression and gloom come in, despair come in. One goes through the pain and keeps offering every tear at the feet of the divine. Cry before her. Uh, a practical way is to write diary. At least, you know, I have uh, done it with great wonderful effect that uh, whenever I went through a difficult passage, uh, so I would take out, as such it's wonderful to write a diary. It's a very good way to connect with the divine. And um, one of the ways is that when you are going through a difficult passage, be it a physical illness, even physical pain, write every day that this is what happened today, this is what happened today. Try to be as impartial a mirror because that helps the light to penetrate. Very often we write it like this, that so and so gave me pain. Then the divine has to first make us conscious that nobody gives you pain, but pain is <laughs> invariably because of some movement within us. But if we are conscious that it is, let's say, an ignorant attachment or maybe an expectation of certain kind which gave pain, then we write it and offer it to the divine. But even if we are not conscious, even if we think somebody else gave the pain, which is obviously ignorance, but still we write it. And by this, we form a contact with the divine consciousness. And then it becomes easy for the divine to pour. So while we can do it inwardly through meditation, uh, by offering to the divine, but it's much better to concretize it and write it. And at the end, aspire and pray that mother, not only pull me out of this, but there is a tendency within me. Uh, you are the one who knows this nature and take away this tendency. One thing which helps greatly is to learn to separate the Purusha from Prakriti. Because then one is not caught in the play even while one is in the play. It may look like one is in the play. But there is a part which is completely separate. So it helps, it gives us a vantage point and makes the offering very easier. So one of the earliest practices is to learn to separate that this is uh, nature which is going through various things. And even while one is agreeing or consenting to go into it, one knows that one is not that. But that doesn't come in the path of bhakti that comes through other ways. It comes primarily in the yoga of divine works where one learns to separate from in, in divine knowledge also but then it takes one towards a different direction. But in divine works it comes very easily to learn to separate from nature and to keep on offering with complete faith even if there is a long period to know that help is bound to come that the divine is already there helping and if he is making us still go through it that means there is a purpose behind it. There was a lady who was experiencing a lot of pain because of a certain physical condition and she would write to Shurabindo, why is it not going away? So many days, you know, it was a, you know, what women sometimes experience and with a lot of bleeding which was continuing. So Shurabindo um, sent the letter through somebody else writes on Shurabindo's behalf. He would do that sometimes. So the person says, Shurabindo says that this much you have to go through and bear with it because it is the way of cleansing you of the last remnants of the sexual desire. So it was a way that he was, actually it was a catharsis of many things, which the person didn't understand. So many times the way we understand divine help, why is it taking long? Because there are things in nature which have to be completely exhausted, there are elements which have to be thrown out, and he's taking them out through an easier passage. Then they are entering into a big, you know, uh, dangerous things. So we should be frank, 
sincere, straightforward with the divine and uh, tell him everything just as we are. Everybody has in nature all kinds of things, sundar asundar and uh, pray and aspire for the light to enter, to change what needs to be changed and can be changed and to remove what needs to be thrown away. But there are very few things that have to be thrown away. Everything can be changed and transformed. But it will take time. The darkest the corner, the greater the time it takes. So one has to just pray and aspire and wait with full faith whatever time is taken and endure the process. It's easier to endure when we know that the divine is with us. Very difficult to endure if we start believing uh, that you know he has forgotten me, he has abandoned me. He never abandons. This should be instilled in the very cells of our body. Even when the appearance is darkest, he never abandons. Aluta, how to understand the consent of the divine? If we are up to something, how to understand that we have got the green signal from it. <laughs> Uh, well, there are certain ways, and uh, but they also can be misleading. Anything that fills the heart with a deep peace, joy, but not a joy which comes through, uh, there is a difference between pleasure, thrill and a deep inner joy. And we have to see very carefully that is it the desired self which is intruding and giving the sense of a green signal. Having said that, it is very, very difficult because the mind has a thousand ways of deceiving oneself. So what is important is regardless of that, while these are indicators, whatever leads to peace, joy, sense of you know the divine presence is intact, this is the big uh, you know, guide, the compass if one would like to put it then it is things are moving in the right direction. It's not about an action or an event. Even in the same action, there can be many sides or shades and it can lead to this way or that way. So one keeps on watching for this contact with the divine which gives peace and joy always and invariably. Anything which brings sense of remorse, depression is obviously springing from a dark source or too much of excitement, ego aggrandization is springing from a wrong source. So one has to look at it from that standpoint. But having said that, it's very difficult. So one has to just keep offering and saying, you are my autocorrect. You know, so in mobile we have the autocorrect. So make the divine your autocorrect, not the, just the GPS. Very often people use the word GPS that he guides where our position is and then we have to re-navigate and reorient. No, make him your autocorrect and say, I am an idiot, a fool, ignoramus. I, I may do many things which are stupid and my mind may give many convenient excuses. But you are the all-knower. Look here. If still you don't intervene and autocorrect things, then you are the one who is responsible. He will understand that. He loves, he has a wonderful sense of humor. So we can form that relation with the divine that I will try, but I don't know. So you are my autocorrect. And he will not only autocorrect in terms of right and wrong, he will pluck out the right from the wrong. He'll pluck out good from evil. That is his action. That's why we don't understand. We think it is good and bad. So the moment we pray to the divine, he'll throw the bad away and keep you on the good. No, that's a moral God. He's not a moralist. He knows there is a seed of divinity in everything and he will not leave you till he has extracted it out. So that is the whole, his way. So have faith and tell him that's the ultimate thing. Offer to him. Remember and offer. The same Practice in integral yoga in the yoga of divine works applies here, consecrating everything to the divine. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you.